Welcome to LNG TV, bringing you dynamic conversations, thought-provoking reflections and inspiring stories from the leaders, pioneers and change agents spearheading growth across gas and LNG markets worldwide and shaping the transition to a cleaner, more sustainable and prosperous global energy landscape of tomorrow. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to today's episode of LNG Leaders. On today's programme, we're joined by founder of B Energy Solutions, former senior vice president of LNG with Gerrard Global Markets, recognised as one of the most successful LNG traders of the past decade and referred to by many affectionately as the queen of LNG. I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Bebahani. Sarah, welcome. A huge thank you for being with us on the programme today. It's a pleasure to have you on. So tell us, you've been in Dubai for the past few months. How has the past turbulent year been for you? Well, thank you very much for having me first. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be on the show. Uh, well, 2020, for, as for many, it was a very interesting year. I've been in London for majority of the lockdown until December. I moved to Dubai. Of course, uh, I have stepped down from my role in May and I decided to do my own consultancy firm uh, in October. And before I finish my branding and logo, I got two clients. So it's a bit uh, intense for me right now. It's good to be busy. I, I hate being idle. So, um, so far, good. <laughs> Sarah, let's talk about the beginning of your career. And since you entered the LNG market, the landscape has transformed significantly. Tell us about some of the forces that have shaped the market. Oh, yes. I think uh, since 2010, uh, it's almost not the same market at all right now in 2020. One of the main, I think, significant things that changes the market was the U.S. export, when really transforming the market to more tradable, to more commoditized in a way market, versus when I entered, it was more, not point to point, but few market players can really divert the cargoes at that time. So the U.S. export and then recently the liquidity on the JKM and the MOC, which makes a lot of more people comfortable on risk management. Uh, so we have a lot of more new entrants coming to the market. And Sarah, how do you see the changes looking forward to the next 10 years or so? Well, I think um, the this amount of spot cargoes or let's say in the short term market will increase. But it will not increase to maybe 50%. I think still LNG will require some foundation contracts. And to expand LNG, you need the long-term contract. So that's a fact. Uh, there will be a, the next three, four to five years, there will be 20, 25 million ton of recontracting happening of uh, product that, projects that are already amortized. And these recontraction will include more flexibility and liquidity to the market. So we will see a bit more tradable and hopefully you will not see a lot of this, uh, what happened last winter, let's say, when also there was a bit of short squeeze to the market uh, because of also limitation of cargoes. And with the LNG market forecasted to grow, you know, some might say by 100% over the next few decades, mm -hmm. there's clearly a lot of talk and a lot of focus on the Chinese and the Indian markets. Looking mm -hmm. beyond those, who else do you see as kind of the key emerging growth markets for the LNG industry? Yes, you can't, I think nobody can uh, ignore China and India with 3 billion economy. But LNG, especially now with the energy transition and uh, policy change, you will have new entrants. 
uh, I think we have a lot of gas to power or energy to power in Southeast Asia. You have existing market that will change due to energy policy, which is like Japan, Korea, that will need to switch from coal. Uh, there's a lot of other market with huge potential like Bangladesh, Pakistan, and also in the other part of the continent. In Europe, you have people who want to diversify from Russian gas, like Poland and Germany. Uh, and then you have South Africa with the fuel to gas switching and some of the Bahamas and Salvador in Latin America. So there's a lot of dynamic and that's without even shipping. You know, a lot, I think the shipping industry and downstream LNG will require a lot of volume to grow as well. Sarah, let's look at the supply side. Are we still looking at Qatar, the US, Russia, Australia as being the dominant forces here or is there room for others to come in? I think it's very hard to compete with the one you said, apart maybe Iran at some point, because they share the same field as Qatar, so they will have the same economics, but Iran will do the domestic gas as well before they go forward. Apart from that, I don't see like a huge contender uh, against these uh, countries. And picking up on Qatar specifically, this week we had news coming out of Qatar of them moving forward at pace with their liquefaction expansion projects. What do you see as the impact that that will have on the market in the coming years? I think um, Qatar has been doing very smart strategic uh, moves, let's say. They have uh, been very active in securing regas, very active securing homes, and they have one of the cheapest uh, gas to production, and they should leverage on that. And I think it's a very strategic move to move right now when most of the other companies will have, let's say, liquidity issue in FID. So they will be the first molecule out, let's say in 2025, 26, where most other projects will, um, let's say, have some kind of delays. So um, I think they will be very smart in capturing the growth. It's fair to say, building on that, that the industry has changed quite a lot. In fact, the world has changed over the last year or so. What do you say specifically in the last year or so have been the changes affecting the LNG industry? Well, I think, you know, let's remember LNG also go through cycles. So while we think things gone away, it can come back again. The cycle are getting shorter. The volatility, I think we saw in 2020, uh, we saw the lowest prices and the highest prices. What I think that had a major and lasting impact is the performance of contractual chain. It was tested quite a lot. And I think a lot of people, because of the issues that happened, there will be a lot of review on liabilities in the contract. LNG was not designed for, let's say, short-term transactions. The liability might not be reflective of the real cost. So this year, I think the gentleman approach of LNG where you know somebody will not do something even if it's contractually possible, is no longer the case and i think people realize that so this will have impact on the contraction going forward um sarah singapore has emerged as the globe's hub for lng trading do you think they'll retain this crown or do you see other contenders emerging i think singapore is well established and what helps as well most companies have their oil desk or other parts of their organization in singapore so when you set up LNG, you will leverage on the ETRM system, the back office. Uh, Singapore, when I moved there, it was very easy for me to set up. 
um, the financial sector as well to help the commodity market is well established. The legal system is based on English law where the commodity are based and also the amazing travel hub to cover the market. I think the only downside for me was managing a global business from that time zone. It was challenging versus Dubai. But apart from that, I think it's very hard to compete with the whole uh, structure of Singapore. From what I see, industry networks and personal relationships continue to really matter in deal making. Firstly, do you agree with that? And what has been your experience of it? I am a great believer in relationship in LNG. One of my fondness of this market is very people-based. Uh, it's not a screen and, and Excel sheets. Uh, you, you go and you build a long-term relationship and these relationships will become like partnership. I can't count the amount of time I was bailed by partners and bailing partners. Uh, and it's quite strengthening our relationship. We grow together and we share a lot of experience. Um, so that's, I think, a very niche thing about the LNG that I, I really love that market. Okay, thank you. Sarah, we've seen increased liquidity in the market and the emergence of LNG digital trading platforms. Can these replace deal making in the future, do you think? Are they likely to, be, to create a more open global trading market? <laughs> I'm, I may be old school. Um, I think the LNG platform are very good for short-term tenders, maybe to reduce the burden around admin. Um, I left the LNG market just last May, and we were celebrating one-to-one -one paper to physical. It's still it's at its infancy. I would not say it's liquid and far from being homogeneous. The platform usually work when you have a commodity that's homogeneous, standardized contract. When you do even a deal on the... MOC, you will need a one week to exchange back and forth other part of the CN. So I still, there is hope, but I, I still think LNG will continue to make predominantly uh, negotiation because of the nature of the, of the deal and terms. Shifting gears slightly and actually talking about the evolving hydrogen industry, there's been lots of focus on this recently. Could you perhaps see one day an international hydrogen market similar to what we see in LNG today? I'm sure we will. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. Having energy from hydrogen is not something new. You know, it's there. The issue is about affordability, sustainability, and you know, safe uh, having that market. I think there's a lot of attention now on it with the R&D available. We will see it maybe before we thought we would see it in 25 years. Maybe we'll see it in 10 to 15 years. I don't see it in the five, 10 years. Let's say horizon. So let's talk more about you and your career, Sarah. You've previously said making deals is in your blood. Is there one specific deal that stands out for you? Uh, I think every, every deal has a story. Um, one of my, I think, best deal, I think, in my life is actually one of my lowest PNL deals. I think I've earned one and a half cents for that deal that I negotiated for 10, 10 years, no, sorry, 10, 10 days. Um, I was just joining and I had India as a market uh, in Shell. And we've been back and forth with this new uh, player to do one spot cargo. It took us a lot of effort. I came from oil and I thought like, this is very difficult in this energy. Everything gets negotiated like even normal stuff. Uh, anyway, we, we did the deal, but it was the beginning of a very interesting partnership between us and uh, that player. 
and it enabled Shell to be the highest, uh, let's say, market supplier to India after Qatar for five, six years uh, after that deal. So I remember that uh, I had a lot of, let's say, personal friendship uh, after that deal as well. And what's the key to making a good, successful deal, do you think? Uh, I think you need to understand the client. Um, you know, saying win-win is easy, but saying to find what is the win that will that people will not regret it the next day is you understand the client, what they really need, and talking to them, maybe spending more time talking to them, understanding the whole structure versus rushing just to close a deal. Um, I have actually walked away from a couple of deals because I thought, you know, in a week's time, they will not like it. That's a brave thing to do. Yeah, but it's, it's a long game. I think in LNG, it's a long game. Of course, a long game. It's a marathon. So let's talk about leadership because you've led, managed and built up from scratch numerous teams. What's the secret of being a good, successful leader? I'm not sure I did my team told you I'm good and successful leader. Um, so I will, I will just talk about my leadership style. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it was working for me. Um, I, one of my strengths is I really know myself in terms of strength, weaknesses, my flaws, my biases. I think I have done a lot of tests in cognitive uh, bias. And so when I recruit, I will tell people around my vision and well, how do they fit in that vision. When they join, the first discussion will be about what my weaknesses toward that vision and where do they fit for that vision. Having, I'm very a supporter of diverse and diverse is not just race and sex, is, is different thinking. And that everybody needs to be 30% weak and the other part of the team have that kind of 30% weakness to complete them. Having said that, it's not easy way to manage because you're having 10 different people, different, different background. You need to be 10 different management style for them. You cannot treat people the same if you want a diverse team because by the definition that they are diverse, they're different. So what uh, excites someone, it might not be uh, the same thing that excites and make uh, the other guy push to the limit. So you need to have always this constant, um, you know, being a dynamic character, apologizing when I'm wrong, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very demanding leader before and uh, not shy of stating a view, but I also encourage even the youngest TA in my team to tell me if they think there is another way. Um, sometime in the heat of the moment, I would just shut everybody down, but I will reflect on it. And I see that a lot of people will see that I'll go back and I change my mind. And I think that's very important to the, this generation, let's say, to be heard and to be uh, respected in a way. This long before, I think, the TV when you are indestructible, egoistic boss trading floor, I don't think that takes you and nor that foster any loyalty in the team. So I have been very close to my team uh, on a social level as well. And I still see a lot of my old uh, team in Dubai. I think because we have a let's say mutual respectable relationship being open about our weakness as well. In terms of um, inspirational people that you have worked with over your career, is there one person that stands out as the most inspirational that you've ever worked with or for? Uh, I think in KPC, um, my last boss was uh, a guy called Fahad Neshmi. He was, I think, retired as 
Deputy Managing Director of Kuwait Petroleum. He was my boss in London office. And he was, I think, the best manager in terms of openness and transparency, always calm. I, you know, I, I'm never as calm as him. He, he knows when to delegate, how to delegate. He trusts, he builds a team on complete trust, never checks. I'm, I'm not the same. I'm, I do check sometimes. I do micromanage sometimes. But it's a, he taught me a lot, let's say, of my leadership style and, and being human, I think, as a boss. You are, Sarah, an inspiration to many people in the industry. And what advice would you give to those who are looking to follow in your footsteps or emulate a similar career? I think you make me old now. I, um, <laughs> I think um, in my career, I find that grit has more value than ability and talent. Um, you need to be persevered, I think, and you have that kind of belief and passion and go forward. Because while many will say, you know, follow your passion, but, you know, not everybody will be lucky to work where they passion as they, young, as they are young. But if they believe in what they do, I think, and they put the time, they put the hours, they will reach successful. Specific to LNG trading, I think, one thing I'm recently noticing that most of the people will just follow the ARP. Everything becomes the ARP, the ARP, when, you know, ARP close, ARP and But I think it's important to follow the supply demand, the, the data, the intel, the how your client think. That's what distinguish a good trader versus a great trader. So it's, it's, it's mundane and it's, not, it's boring, but I think that will make you a really good trader. So, Sarah, we'd love to know a bit more about what inspires you. Um, you've lived, studied and worked all over the world in the US, the UK, the Middle East and Asia. So you have a real strong cultural viewpoint from lots of different advantages. How important do you think that is? I think it was very important to, you know, shape me. My journey is very important to where I am right now. Uh, being, you know, multicultural, lived in studied in somewhere else. I understand people, even when they don't say what they mean, you know, reading between the line, my, my level of empathy and EQ, let's say it's much higher because of how I live my life. So I think it helped me a lot in that way. And what would you say would be the most important lessons that you hope that your children would learn from you? I don't want them to hear that, but they should not, uh, stop when you get no, you know, you need to question as well. Um, you know, in the amount of time I heard like this is have never been done before, or it's not the way we work. Um, but just pushing, I think, and questioning, you'll, you'll change, you'll have an impact actually on where you work. Um, mm -hmm. Sarah, as a woman in a male dominated industry, do you feel that's presented lots of personal and unique challenges? Yes, uh, I think it's, it's also shaped me, made me more uh, say confident and being more strong and uh, presenting my view. I still being called passionate, not a, I call myself passionate, I call it emotional when I get excited about an issue, uh, while for a, a, ma a man will be more passionate about the subject. I think it's less so uh, right now. There will be some people will have that kind of biases, but also there will be biases against a male who's quiet as well, that he's not uh, like trading type. Um, but I think we are more sophisticated right now. It's much better than 10 years ago, let's say. I'd imagine managing a high profile role, um, intensive global travel, balancing business and personal priorities, 
is a challenge. What are the habits that you've developed over your career to help manage this? Yes, um, I think many will know me. I'm not the best work-life balance, let's say, person, but this is what works for me. I like to work hard, play hard. I will work, but I know myself there's some triggers that I know I need to take a break. I usually enjoy, let's say, often break, short break between every two, three months, I will have like a short break. I'm not a person who can go three weeks off or two weeks off. I get bored. So um, I rather sometime one day in the weekend that I completely switch off to something I completely enjoy, go to a spa. Um, but it's, I think it may, much of that managing your life is knowing yourself. Some people need seven hours of sleep. Some people need five. It's okay. I think do whatever works for you. It is really hard in today's world when we're all connected 24-7 to switch off to find that time to relax. Do you have any specific things that you like to enjoy doing other than going to spas, which I would certainly <laughs> love to do right now? Yes, well, I think um, I now enjoy the simple things. For example, it's like a day that I don't have any plans, no calls, uh, just being in my house, doing redecoration looking at galleries, um, I think just a simple walk. Um, I, very close to the beach, I rarely go to the beach. So when I have a time, I just like to go walk there barefoot. I understand you actually aspired to be a fighter pilot when you were younger. Um, you now had a, a highly accomplished in career in LNG to date. What's next for Sarah? Yes, um, I think that's a lot of people asking me right now. All my life, I've been obsessed of what is next and been chasing that, um, I think, for 25 years. Right now, actually, I decided I just want to slow down and I want to enjoy what I'm doing right now. Like being present in the moment. I believe in, in almost like fate and whatever meant to happen will happen. And it took me a while just to, in a way, say, OK, I don't know what's next and I'm OK with it. And I will do it best for now in my current consultancy job. It might be what I do for the next 10 years. It might be opening something else for me that I will do for the next 10 years. But to be honest, I'm not thinking of what is next right now. Taking some well-deserved time out. Now, we'd like <laughs> to know a bit more about the real you and ask you about some of your favorites. First of all, do you have a favorite meal? If so, can you remember where it was, who it was with, what you ate? Yes. Actually, I have a very favorite meal. It was, um, I think, one of uh, the LNG CWC. It was Barcelona. And the restaurant called 41 Grados. It's uh, Adria, chef, you know, ex-Ilbuli. And I was there with colleagues from the LNG industry, but they were very close friends. And it took us four and a half hour meal, 41 dish pairing. And it was you know, amazing uh, meal. I think after 25 dish, you get a bit of cake. It's full, but they are very tiny. But like piece of art of, you know, every dish was a piece of art. And the company was amazing. And we, we had um, fun that day. And what about a favorite book? Do you have one? The King of Oil. <laughs> I, I learned a lot from that. <laughs> I believe we all want to make an impact. What would you like to be most remembered for? Yes, um, I think that was my last couple of years. I was upset about like, you know, when you Google my name, what you will read kind of thing. And I was thinking how to do a career around that. 
And I'm very competitive. So when I had kids, I want to be the best mom. When I was a trader, the best traders. And when I'm a manager, I want to be the best fair manager. But right now, to be honest, after you see the last year, um, in a way, I just want to be remembered uh, that have like some kind of small impact in someone's life. And if they say anything about me, it's okay, she was a good person. She was a good, you know, remember you with fondness in a way. I don't want to be tough or strong or something like that. Just be a, a good human being. I think that's a legacy for what I want right now. So thank you very, very much for joining us today. Um, okay. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. thank you so much for being with us for this episode of LNG Leaders. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, that is it for this episode of LNG Leaders. Thank you so much for watching. Bye for now.